what the fuck is up, everyone? It's State of the Revolution, the Michigan Progressive Podcast. I'm Benjamin Klon. I'm Ricky Reynolds. Alex Sahori. Zachary Reinhardt. And joining us today, we have City Councilor-elect Brandon Betts. Woo, hey, everybody. Woo, uh, This last Tuesday, November 5th, there were a bunch of election stuff happening all across the country, and we'll be getting to some of the other stuff, but first... Uh, Brandon, congratulations on your win. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's very, very exciting. Brandon uh, ousted uh, Jody Washington, a eight-year incumbent. Um, Two-term conservative incumbent in a city that is much more left than she is. Mm-hmm. But running as And she an, was backed by the Chamber of Council as well. Chamber, chamber of Commerce, yep. Or, yep. Chamber of Commerce, right, yeah. <laughs> The Chamber of Council sounds really scary, <laughs> that, yeah. too. Yeah, that does so, sound fucking creepy. I don't want them. <laughs> That's why when we have, like, the Communist Revolution, we replace <laughs> the Chamber of Commerce with the Chamber of... Or the Chamber of Council. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> so how are you feeling, Brandon? I'm feeling really, really, really good. You know, r- running this thing, it, it's... It's amazing to have been, I I am now, some people have pointed out, the first openly socialist city council person in Lansing in recent history, and that is a really, really, really exciting thing. We did it. This was us. This wasn't just me, and it it was all of us getting together and really saying enough was enough with a conservative person, and it was time to to overthrow, and now we're here. Congratulations, everybody. It's not just me. So I hear that Alex knocked the last door. Yes, I I, uh, knocked on the last door of the uh, Brandon Betts campaign. That was the last voter contact um Kristen did vote for you she had already <laughs> voted for you so uh yeah like thank just you got, Kristen right it kind of just um you know goes to show that when you do this type of work uh you'll get rewarded you know like I did uh probably the last canvas just making sure that you know people were out to vote and almost every single person I interacted with was like oh uh, Brandon came over and talked to me or yeah, you guys are working so hard or yeah, I'm already voting for him. I already sent in my ballot and yeah, it's just, Accor- well, according to Ross, who was your campaign manager, uh, we all went through the universe, uh, collectively about four times. I think I knocked 4,200 doors, I think is what my estimate is. And DSA knocked another 4,500. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. And I, I remember explain, oh, I, explain what around the universe means for the folks at home. Right. So, well, I mean, the, the universe uh, with when it comes to like a voter outreach uh, for a for a campaign, your universe is like all of the names and all of the houses that you are targeting uh, specifically uh, to try and turn them out for an election. Um, I remember like when I was canvassing for you on election day. Uh, going around, you know, knocking on doors and talking to people. I had one guy said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm voting for him." For how many fucking times you guys have been at my door? <laughs> yes, that's what I wanted. <laughs> no, but yeah, cause, uh, could speak a little bit more on that, Brandon. Just um, how uh, you formulated this volunteer effort. How uh, you know you. Uh, worked with and coordinated with DSA and any other organizations that helped you out to do this. So when, when I started this thing, I saw 
that the grassroots movement was really going to win this. Jody had, she was going to have a lot more money. She raised double the money that I did. I think she had 30 grand or something like that in the end. And so what, what the question was is how many doors could I knock and how many doors could I get people to knock? And I realized that DSA was going to be an essential part of that because our DSA organization here in Lansing has 30 people who actually show up to the meetings and things like that. And we had most of those people actually knocking doors. So it was getting them energized and really interested in local elections. The really nice thing was before I ran this campaign, I sat down with a whole bunch of people from DSA and said, all right, are we ready for this? Are we ready to really push this movement forward in Lansing and get excited about local politics, which is a big question that we have to ask, because, you know, in DSA, there's a whole bunch of Bernie people now. There's a whole bunch of people who are really worried about state politics. But when it comes down to local politics, it's about convincing everybody but that this local system really does matter for us, too. And so I think that I was able to kind of gather up on that. But again, this wasn't me. This wasn't me directly. This was a whole bunch of people who were already members of DSA who believed in me. This was Ross Fisher, my campaign manager. Shout out to him because he is the brains behind the operation. And I think that it it was just all of us getting together and saying it's it's time to move forward. It's time to gain some traction and gain some power in this city. Well, I mean, I think it should take some credit. I think you mentioned that you probably knocked like a third of all the doors, uh, even like counting all of the uh, volunteers. I mean, and that matters too. you know, direct contact, direct contact uh, with the candidate matters. You know, Mm -hmm. AOC was, you know, going down, knocking on uh, all those uh, type of doors too. And that's kind of like the formula that we see across the country, really, whether it's a candidacy for, you know, um, city council person or house representatives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was really, I was really impressed with how much work you actually did, Brandon, because I I remember when you first started thinking about running, you decided that you wanted to run. I remember Kelly was, uh, I don't know if she ever told you this, but she was like, uh, I don't know, is he going to do the work, though? I don't, I don't know if he's going to do the work. Um, which had, you know, like her and me and I I guess probably some other people kind of apprehensive about it, but I was, I was actually really, really impressed with how many doors you actually knocked. I, I, much to Ricky's chagrin, I'm a libertarian socialist. I really believe in the, I mean, I'm just, I'm just kidding. It's okay. Yeah. I know we fought over this, but I, I really, (laughs) this was important. City council and this city the, the people who live in the city, all of us, are affected directly by what happens with city council. Yeah, at the state level and the federal level, there's this trickle down of money that kind of ends up in our pockets some way or another through some program. But when it comes to city council, this is where I believe we can make the most change. Affordable housing, saying fuck you to these big developers who are being given all these tax breaks. And, you know, supplying public services to people who really need it. That is the socialist message to me. And so it's so exciting to be in this position now because we can start pushing these ideas forward. I mean, one of the hard things for me and one thing that I've been reaching out to everybody about that's been very interesting is reminding people that I've won and now we have power, Mm -hmm. right? So you, Ben, we have have some power. We have some power, but we can start bringing our ideas to the table and most people are going to like our ideas. It's the label that they don't like. It's not the ideas. They love the ideas. So it's, it's about us getting together and really starting to push this city forward. Well, that's, uh, 
that's what one of the things I wanted to ask you about was like, um, I, I imagine you're, we're going to have a hard time getting a lot of the things that we want done on the council because you're, I mean, you're, you're just one out of eight members. Um, and you do have some people who I know are kind of sympathetic to some of our positions, but I imagine you're going to be facing a lot of opposition. You would be really surprised. Peter Spatafor, I know you all hate him <laughs> a lot. I don't hate uh, Peter. Don't Nobody hate said Peter. That. So think that Peter is not on our side. He he came to my event and we've been sitting down every single day to have conversation about what we can do to push this city further left. And it's not just him. Brian Jackson is also left on some issues. Um, Kathy Dunbar is definitely left. I mean, I wouldn't call her a socialist, but she's definitely interested in like making changes that actually help society. And if I'm coming to the table with that, I mean, we're talking, so I, 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 I said, sat down with Peter today and we were talking about what boards I would be on and what uh, committees I would be on. And he's going to put me on development and planning, which is a really powerful board. That is what... This is a committee on the council, right? Not planning board. Yes, yes. You can't be on planning board, right? Correct. I need clarification of that. I, yeah. I need to look. Yes. Okay. I think I think I was just reading the application because I have a you know stars in my eyes, and I'm pretty sure that if you hold another like a city council position, you can't be on the. Okay, on the so board. I I'm going to be on that committee, which which is directly involved with smart development and making sure that the money that we're spending in the city is being spent in a good way, and that we're you know development is bringing in money so that we can pay for these social services. And he's also going to put me on ways and means, which is all about budgeting mm -hmm. and budgeting shows a city's priorities. Oh, so yeah. the Lansing city council has a ways and means yes, committee. Yes, they have a ways and means committee and I'm going to be on that as yeah, well. You were so, like made for that one. Yes, yeah. exactly. Arguably one of the more, more powerful yeah. committees. Yes. And so right. being on those two committees and having, and having, been in a position where I could be on those two, two committees is really powerful, especially for the left, because, you know, I'm going to be one of three or four people on these boards or I sorry on these committees. And we're going to be sitting around making some serious decisions about how we're going to do affordable housing, how we're going to um, pay for public services, how we're going to do all these things. And so I think that we're really going to be able to move things forward. And that's not even counting the fact that we now had 50% of 25%, 55% of 25% of the city vote for us. Yeah. So all of those at-large members are now, why do you think Peter Spatafor is coming to me? It's because, I mean, first of all, he's an okay guy, but second, it's because we have developed this power and we are now a voice in the city and all of those at large mayors and the mayor is paying are paying attention to that because they need to win the first ward in their elections. So that's that's a really powerful position for us to be in. And we, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this, about the energy we have, that we have to take advantage of it now. Um, and one of one of the things to answer Ben's question about, like, you're just one of eight. Well, we're in the next election, it's going to have to be two of eight, right? And we can do that. It's obvious to us that we can do, honestly, I feel like we could do whatever the hell we wanted to. Um, and that's what I want people to think coming out of this is that we can take whatever, whatever we want. I, I believe that we can, and we're going to. I absolutely believe that. And I think that all of you should feel more confident now. I think all of you should feel empowered, emboldened, and ready to fight the good fight because, we now we now have some power. 
we can now start doing things and we could and we're now a serious thing you got to think city pulse was writing about dsa city pulse is actually going to be reaching out to mara very soon to get have maybe have an interview with her about the things that they did for this campaign so we're getting press coverage we're being talked about i am being called on every radio station i've talked to so far democratic socialist people are people are paying attention in this city now Got a little shout out from Vice News, right? Yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> Just they're in the bottom, but hey, I'll I'll take it. That's exciting. A couple <laughs> Jacobin writers re, uh, retweeted you too. Yep, yeah, which is very cool. I'm, I'm waiting on that article. I'm a little pissed that we're not getting a little more attention than Mara we are. actually uh, suggested that we reach out. Mara Zumberg is the chair of DSA right now. She actually suggested that we reach out to Jacobin and try to see chair of uh, Greater Lansing DSA. Yeah, Greater Lansing DSA, and suggested that we reach out to Jackman and maybe have them come write an article about what we did here because what we did here was super powerful. Yeah. Right. And you know, we're going to be able kind of like going off of what you're saying just now, we're going to be able to leverage this, you know, in the future as like an organization as DSA in Lansing, you know, other like we're going to have, uh, you know, uh, candidates coming to us more often, you know, I'm hoping to see we have a, a general meeting tomorrow and I, I know that we are going to see some new faces from what I've heard. I'm hoping to see a lot of new bodies. And I, you know, so those of us who are going to be there tomorrow should really think about taking this meeting very seriously, showing up with our most of our energy, because a lot of people are going to be ready for whatever it is. And we should, uh, you know, engage that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, cool things are happening here in Lansing, but there were some other elections that happened uh, last Tuesday. Um, let's see here, uh, Kentucky governor, Matt Bevan, uh, what, uh, did he, he, he hasn't conceded yet, but he, he lost the election to what's his name? Andy Bashir, Andy, Andy Bashir, uh, by about 5,100 votes. And yeah, Bevan's has not, uh, or Bevan hasn't conceded yet. Uh, and he's calling for a recanvas, uh, which Zach, do you know exactly what that means? I mean, they're like recounting like the voting machines, I guess. They're not like recounting ballots, but they're like uh, double checking like the totals on like the voting machines or something like that. Yeah, to make sure there's not like election like fraud going on, which right. is ridiculous. Matt Bevan should just take uh, like vacation to Spain like Jody Washington did and just, <laughs> you know, concede. Well, actually, I think it was it was the... It was like the leader of like Kentucky Senate uh, just recently said if the recanvas shows the same results... Um, he basically said Bevan should just fuck off. So I'll, I'll give you the boring details on how this works. Uh, a re-canvas <laughs> is a count. So every single precinct prints out a receipt, and those receipts are sent to a central location, and they're literally just reprinting those receipts and sending them back and adding them back up. Just in case there was a calculator error. Now I will tell you what the the new governor. I'm I'm preempting this thing. The new governor won by three thousand votes. You really think that there was that much of a clerical error? I I don't think so. I think that's just another Republican who's lost and is sad that they lost. Yeah. So I mean, of course, everybody recounts all the time nowadays because. But I mean, we we have technical systems now. It's three thousand votes. That's a lot of votes. Well, this this was sort of an interesting race because uh, just a couple days before the election, Donald Trump uh, came and held a rally for Bevan. 
It was the day before. Was it the day before? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And he get he gets he gets up on stage and he tells this whole crowd of people, you know, a lot of people are gonna be looking at this election and if 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 Bevin loses, like it's gonna make me look really, really bad, so don't let it happen. Hey Trump, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> and they let it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean in Honestly, it turns out that uh, telling teachers that they're responsible for sexual assault for going on strike is not a good campaign strategy. Wait, is he that guy? That's I that guy. Yeah, that. yeah. That's he, a deep cut, my friend. That uh, that is that guy. Um, he's he's known for quite a few just ridiculous, ridiculous statements. Um, he also wanted to uh, like cut the police force and expand like militia groups to handle crime. Like, oh yikes! That's, that's the logical consequence of libertarianism, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> Unpopular opinion. I actually agree. <laughs> can can I address that real quick? I have to say I was pretty grateful that you are a libertarian because a lot of people out there liked that. Like, I, you know, that was a good way to relate to a lot of people. Not a libertarian, city. libertarian socialist. I t- I told yeah. I told a lot of people in the city that you had libertarian leanings and that I believe that that sold okay. them on you. Yeah, tell the Republicans whatever they want to hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think a lot of the reason why uh, Bashir was able to win is because he seemed to have a lot of union backing, didn't he? He did, um, in large part because they the uh, <laughs> because Bevin was Bevin, an asshole. Yeah, he's just an asshole. Even yeah. like you know, you're talking about the uh, Senate uh, leader talking about how he just needs to basically just like just drop out if it's like because they were talking about you know there's a, a law in the Constitution. Of, uh, Kentucky, whereas if it's contested three times and it's still not uh, decided, then uh, the legislature can actually decide, and that's Republican-controlled. But he's he's so toxic that a lot of Republicans don't like him. He's like the Ted Cruz of mm. Kentucky politics, you well, know? Yeah. Remember how, like, John Boehner was like, you know, like, who's an asshole? But he's like, yeah, Ted Cruz is, like, yeah. so Well, speaking of libertarian, or, yeah, speaking of libertarians, like, there was actually a libertarian that split the vote for this governorship. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, like, I think he got like something between like 20 to 30 percent of the vote or something like that or maybe it was 15 to 20 i don't remember but he got a good chunk of the vote yeah well apparently so i guess like the libertarians in kentucky have a beef with uh with bevan uh who was the incumbent and i guess the libertarian candidate did take up a sizable portion of the vote and ended up spoiling it for bevan and they were pretty proud of that so so you you there there's this big there's this long history in kentucky politics and probably so the the first the person person before Bevin was basically libertarian, cut every social program, decreased taxes by so much, and then their their entire government went into a fiscal crisis. Oh, yeah. So then Bevin got elected to reform this stuff, but I think people finally realized that these Republicans are not going to be great reformers of this stuff because we actually need good social programs and then that just kind of spilled over and now we've got andy who's who's in there so yeah and from what i understand andy andy bashir isn't like he's not like great i mean he's he's from what i can tell he's just a like run-of-the-mill democrat yeah, he's more of a moderate, but uh, it's still a win, you know, especially for the unions there, mm-hmm. the teachers and the uh, 
coal miners and everything like that that are fighting down there. So while he's a while he yes he is a moderate. One of his big platforms is voting rights for felony offenders in jail. Yeah, he did commit to uh, one hundred forty thousand people, which is something he can do to with a strike of a pen. And what what that does is that expands the electorate, and that will help Democrats win in the future. Mm-hmm. Which is like the type of stuff that Democrats need to do more of. Yeah, they need to be able to. They need to start entrenching their power. But also in franchises, one hundred forty thousand right. yeah. people that desperately need to have enfranchisement. I think. Um. I. You know. My theory about this is that moderate Democrats don't want those people enfranchised any more than Republicans do. Um, because specifically in Kentucky, what that will do is not just the de- that's not going to just be good for Democrats. That's going to be good for the left. That's my mm-hmm. guess. Um. Specifically in Kentucky, um. I don't think that's going to be good for centrists. No, more like populist candidates. Yeah, for sure. Well, well I mean, um, there's it's kind of it kind of cuts both ways because like the thing is, Matt Bevan, like the they'll go far, just not far enough, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, or, or not Matt Bevan, but Andy Bashir. The thing is that like the one of the main things that he campaigned on was his Medicaid expansion. Mm-hmm. He sounds like and Kentucky a pretty good candidate. Yeah, I no, he's know. he's a decent candidate, and like I mean, um. You know, in a place like Kentucky, I mean, that's about as far left. Yeah, uh, you're not going to get a state, um, uh, federal program because you're you're just not going to get like enough tax. There's not enough like industrial yeah. pl- like uh, big companies that you can tax there yeah. for like that sort of big social program. So, but when you do, I'm pretty sure Kentucky is like one of these states that never did the Medicaid expansion. Yeah, with yeah it would care. save the lives of like yeah. thousands of people. Yeah, yeah. Right, and you're gonna get you know that benefit to hundreds of or thousands of people and that's going to create an entrenched power base like that is like if if like people are going to be like terrified that their medicaid is going to be taken away Uh they're going to go out to the polls yeah and it you know it also i you know and you i don't know if we've seen this on the ground but that sort of thing gives people a faith in state programs Mm -hmm. um because it will save lives like probably immediately um and that's good for the left because we are mostly statists. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Is uh is, is the Medicaid expansion something that that Bashir can do himself as the governor, or does he need the legislature? Because the legislature uh, is still all red, and the attorney general is a Republican as well. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's he's pretty much the only Democrat, or one of the only Democrats in state office. I think that he. He will need like the legislature, but I think it's something that he could possibly still get done, much in the way that Snyder did here. Uh-huh. There's a, if there's a strong enough mandate behind Bashir, they might just like give in to kind of you know show a sign of good faith and try to. The 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 key is uh, the <clears throat> rural people in Kentucky, and that's one thing that we did really well here in Michigan is pushing that rural health care sucks. And Medicaid expansion helps with that so much. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of pushing that message will will help him get along because people feel like they need this. People need health care. It's, it's a human necessity at this point. So you just kind of got to push that message out to those rural parts of Kansas and say, all right, well, or Kentucky, sorry, rural parts of Kentucky and say, all right, here we go. I found the... Uh wins in Virginia pretty fascinating too, especially considering how many of the candidates were running on a Green New Deal and how uh, salient that message was in Virginia. uh, The entire Virginia Democrat organization uh, has endorsed Medicare for uh, the Green New Deal, Deal, which is 
crazy to think about. I don't mm-hmm. think it's crazy. There's a, a really old, entrenched kind of... Um, I mean, a, MDP has an endorsement. Right, right. <laughs> but okay, deal. so in Virginia, where you're looking at the suburbs of D.C., as well as um, like Massachusetts, the parts where there were a lot of these kind of upper-class, high-tech uh, professionals, there's a really long history of support for the, that type of policy going back to the 60s. Um, you, that's where you get this kind of new alignment of of uh, conservative Democratic voters who are still really behind things like the environment and to some extent um, criticism of the war or whatever. A lot of that happens on the ground in Virginia specifically. Um, you know, wealthy people might actually want a Green New Deal, right? Um, and that's a Especially lot Especially in coastal environments and, yeah, where they're right. getting hit by these hurricanes constantly. Mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of professional contacts out of Virginia and they are probably very excited i talked to them about two weeks before this election happened because mm-hmm. i was out in dc and they were really worried they i mean there are a lot of terrible things that have been going on in virginia for a number of years because the democrats have not been in charge and they are probably celebrating in the streets right now and i'm i'm very excited for them well just, they they have a trifecta <clears throat> now because they have both chambers of the state legislature and they have the governorship uh, mm-hmm. their their blackface governor um, mm-hmm. They also have the attorney general. Oh yeah, who uh, was involved in a, a sexual. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Scandal. Yeah, the whole, the whole. I think the executive um, branch was not on the on the ballot this time around. Um, but yeah, and uh, Lee Carter won. I thought that was cool. Yeah, uh, he won his open, re-election. Yeah, open socialist uh, in a very red district. 26, 26 year incumbent as a Republican mm-hmm. prior, and also the leader of the legislature. So he was right. not. Just, he was like the well, most now, powerful now his Republican. Distri- now his district is red in a good way. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, Lee Carter is like a real deal socialist too. Not like you know Bernie Sanders or. Um, you know, uh, oh, you're, you're, uh, <laughs> wow. we're firing shots. I, okay. uh, I don't know where you're Pow-pow. going with this, but I'm pretty sure I agree with you. No, I mean, he's to the left of Bernie Sanders and that's like, he's to the left of AOC probably too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, like, uh, he's, he strikes me more as in the Jeremy Corbyn vein or, you know, you need to go to another country to like compare him to another politician, which is fascinating to see same thing with um what's going on um you know with the city council and uh seattle mm-hmm. you know you got like an entire city council. God, that was such a good win 1.5 million dollars from amazon just down the drain <laughs> it's like eat it yeah so uh can you fill us in on, in on that a little bit oh amazon poured 1.5 million dollars <laughs> into uh Races against socialist progressive candidates in Seattle. And they lost four of the seven elections that they... Or how much was it? There was four, and they lost four. Oh, it was only... Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) I thought they backed backed seven candidates and lost four of them. No, they backed four, lost four. So, like, every candidate they backed... Eat shit, Jeff. (laughs) Yeah, it was beautiful. It's beautiful. There's a lot going on there. I want to say something first, because we had been talking about this before. One point... 1.45 million was it that feels so good just to say they just threw it away but um you know that's i mean it's jeff bezos yeah it's it's nothing that's like that's like me giving ten dollars to bernie sanders yeah i think the 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 point really being 
is not necessarily the loss for Amazon as much as it is like the fact that yeah. like for so long it's been the case that like when you're outspent at such a great number, that means you're going to lose. And, yeah. Like, so, um, so that happens. I'll let Brandon um, point that out if you want to. That happened in our city council uh, race as well. Um, mm-hmm. That money did not win the seat. And uh, Flint's mayor, right, Karen Weaver. Yeah. It was like two or three times as much as ten Neely. to one. Ten to one with the with the money. Uh, that's maybe a special case, but do we know how much how much Jody raised? Um, I'm pretty sure that she probably raised about twenty five thirty grand. And uh, 80, so pre-election, 84% of her money was from PACs and developers. She raised quite a, a large amount of money from Ferguson and Gillespie and the big, I mean, they're the big developers in Lansing. Um, the people you know, who hate you. This this is powerful. This is, this is the Bernie Sanders effect. We are starting to realize I think that people are starting to realize that it's not all just money. It's about getting people out to knock doors. It's about getting people to actually fight for things that they care about. And the only people who are able to do that are leftists. Mm -hmm. We're the only ones who actually get people involved and interested enough to knock doors. I mean, who cares about, you know, some of these more conservative or moderate candidates, nobody wants to knock doors for them. Yeah, turns out we have socialist bases cropping up across the country at Alyssa Slotkin. Yeah. Hey, (laughs) Alyssa, we're here in Lansing. Come come have a conversation. Listen, I believe that that's true, but I would be... I would be careful getting too confident about it because historically, I mean, and this is the great lesson of party realignment, right? The the reason that we've had this like ridiculously conservative last 40 years is because the right was the only party that knew how to do grassroots organizing. And this was true in the 60s. It was true in the 70s. Um, and, and it's less true now because they're not actually interested in engaging like rich white women like they were in 1972. Uh, but they have the capacity to do what we're doing. I think at the end of the day, it's working for the left because of the policy actually matters. The mm-hmm. content of the races really does matter. And uh, people are all desperate everywhere. So, Well, I mean, you don't, you don't even have to go as far back. Um, was it before or after Obama when the Democrats just kind of like abandoned, you know, like local parties or like state parties and they just kind of like worried about like the presidency? Was that before mm-hmm. or after they did that party reconstruction? Um, it was in 2009, I believe is when that kind of really escalated, but I mean, it was a little bit prior, prior to that a little bit. Yeah. It was like prior and during like the Obama administration, you had like this, you know, breaking down of the democratic, uh, uh, mechanisms, you know, connecting the national party to the state parties, to the local parties. And, you, you know, we've, we saw the effect of that losing tens of thousands of seats mm-hmm. across the country through, like, the past 10 years. So I think, um, well, first of all, I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing these successes that we are seeing is because the connection from the Democratic Party isn't there um, in the grassroots. So we can sort of take it over. Um, I do wonder, I mean, Zach would know a lot about this. That's a good point. Yeah, we Um, were filling up that vacuum that that they left, and now that's given us an entry point. That's why I think that's why DSA is having more effect in uh, rural areas uh, in particular. Wow, that's a fantastic point. Those organizers are in the rural areas are also like doing incredible work. Um, Not that we aren't in cities also, um, but they have a lot against them. They're Mm -hmm. um, and they're they're just generating a lot of thought that a lot that wasn't there before, right? So. 
But uh, I was going to say, I, th- I think maybe part of, you know, the long trajectory of that with the Democratic Party was their, like, firm belief that wealthy people would do it for them, like, forever, or wealthy people in, like, maybe a couple of unions, and it's just falling apart for them, right? So they had no real investment in most working people, and increasingly, you know, working people aren't in these unions anymore, um, and so they just had no investment for, like, 40 years in regular-ass people and poor people, and now they have nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a little optimistic, but do you want to talk about Flint? We could talk about it a little bit. I want to say fuck want ice to. a few times. So. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to There's that. really not that much to say about Flint. Um, yeah, Karen I mean, just sucks. And... Or, yeah, I mean, she does suck, but, you know, there's a crisis of faith and all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's yeah, they have like, Flint just depresses me so much. Yeah, it's hard. Crisis in leadership kind of makes a, makes it to where, like, whoever gets in power is going to have a tough time just because of yeah. the fact that they just lost faith. And that's rightfully been, so. That's been true in Flint for, for ev- since ever. 1970s. Um, it's just a non- nonstop. Like, yeah. It's kind of like, a, I think you'd get this reference, like the Detroit Lions. They just, <laughs> they're so failing that they just return out like leadership. And, yeah. I, you know, I was listening to uh, Abdul's new podcast and his most recent episode is all about... With the Johns? Yeah. Well, they're not on the show, but they're... They're the ones who gave him the job, I bet. Um, so he, It's a little suspect, but I'll allow it. Yeah. It's a good show. It, it is a really, really good hey, show. Hey, I'm, I'm all about progressives taking advantage of that corporate money. And Hell yeah. Circumstances. <laughs> True. Yeah. He gets, like, good development. And like... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a well-produced show, and, you know, it's a duel, so it's it's good shit. Right. But, uh, he was, uh, his most recent episode of his podcast is about Flint, and he talked to and interviewed a bunch of people and, like, asked them, you know, Basically, he asked them like point blank, "Do you trust the government?" They're all they're like, "Fuck no!" Like, yeah, no, not at all. And I mean, like you said, that's been the way that case for yeah decades. This is this is pretty interesting. Did he talk to like um? Did he talk to um Mona Hanna Atisha? Yes, yes. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, obviously we care about his perspective because he is a public health person. Um, it's kind of interesting because, uh, and it's personal to me, so I, I'm in a part of a lot of these, like, the the water crisis groups on Facebook and things, and on one hand, I'll hear all these, like, progressives or just Democrats talking about, like, how we need to s- squash all this conspiracist thinking, that it's, like, right-wing propaganda or whatever, and then... I watch these people um, who are my community talking on Facebook about how, you know, their mother out of nowhere got kidney cancer and does this have something to do with with the water? And we can't say it doesn't, right? We don't know. We don't have any understanding of that. And so this is what actual, uh, what real people, where their questions of this about the state are coming from. This is, you know, it's not the same as anti-vaxxers, but people who have these beliefs, a lot of times we don't have good answer for answers for them. And a lot of times that it comes from a real place of like, Really horrible things happening to them. I mean, at one point, it was a conspiracy that yeah. the water in Flint was poisoned. Yeah. And the state was saying that it wasn't. So, right, I mean, right. like. Um, I mean, I. You had Obama going up there and drinking water and saying it's uh, fine. The. It's not a conspiracy. The state has been failing us. But the reason why the state has been failing us is because it's a capitalist state. Listen, listen, I agree. It's not that I don't agree. But in Flint, it literally was a conspiracy. There was a state cover up. There were scientists who were lying. It was a conspiracy. It really happened. And we still don't have all of the scientific facts about what's going on in the health crisis. And so it could very well be that in five years, all these people are going to die of kidney cancer. We don't know. The Legionnaires thing, we still don't have answers. Um, I know because this was like, this is, uh, my mom had exposure during this 
time and that's kind of how she died possibly um and so i don't have i have zero answers and there's you know so there's the, the x amount of pneumonia cases and that's just what the state has decided counts we don't know about other types of exposures we don't know we don't have any long-term numbers when it comes to lead we have the press constantly publishing things that is like um you know the the blood numbers are not that high in Flint anymore, right? And they're based on like zip code counts or just they're based on lies that the DEQ put out before they were they were trying to let this out, right? Like it is a conspiracy. Um, and it's really important to take that sort of like ground grassroots knowledge seriously, even if it's sometimes like batshit crazy, right? Like, cause that comes from a real place and that's what well, they're gaslit people. Right, like, I mean, right. you can't like, and you know, it's science too. Like mm -hmm. we don't really know. Like, I mean, using the word conspiracy is describing this thing that, you know, is, is, totally secretive but it's happening it's real yeah. it's not a conspiracy i think like all of the conspiracies well, what you're saying real. is it's not just a conspiracy theory right yeah, right it, yeah. it, there is a real conspiracy there and a lot of times this begins with people's knowledge that they are forming themselves based on just what they see what they think what they're being told um so like not that all conspiracy theories are good but this is really important and, and we're gonna have to pay attention to this as the left because that is also our base right is people who have been really hurt uh, by the state or by you know corporations, right? This is also GM's problem. I wanna I wanna remind everybody that GM yeah, did this. Yeah, people always talk about like how the the water was poisoned and that poisoned people, but right. people don't realize that like the reason that the water yeah. was poisoned is because they were pulling it from the Flint River, which right. was already poisoned right. to begin with. And thinking that that hasn't had an impact prior to it being drinking water right. is just foolish. Right. So so this this was Capital's problem. It was General Motors and other businesses in Flint, other Capital in Flint, and then it was privatizing water's problem. Um, and this is like. A serious, serious issue on the ground in Detroit, um, related to, but also its own thing from what's going on in Flint. It was a, it was about commodifying water. It was about commodifying water that had already been exploited by capital for most of a, a century, right? And then it was about a state do uh, serving capital, and then us not listening to people when they said like, "Hey, I'm sick." <laughs> you know, that's that's what a conspiracy is. But you're right, all capitalism is a conspiracy. Yeah, just like. At the, in the bottom line is, is that, you, you know, like, I remember getting chills when Marianne Williamson said in the debate, like, I lived in Gross Point and this would have never happened yeah, in Gross hell yeah. Point, right? Like, at the end of the day, this happened because there is a general lack of humanity or empathy when, you know, these people who hold the levers of power are dealing with disenfranchised communities communities that are impoverished yeah. by generations of redlining in segregation mm -hmm. and uh being um kept from getting good jobs or going to school or you know the school to prison pipeline pipeline it goes on and on and on and the that's at the end of the day it's just that that lack of humanity and you know that otherization that the people who are in power have these people who ha make these decisions have when they're making decisions for these people that they have no like connection towards and, or, and profit there's right. profit on and, the and line. there's pro and, the, and, and there's profit on the line yeah. and like you know re-election campaign donations mm -hmm. the like i really just hijacked your um discussion of abdul but i think he would agree with me so sure well you know speaking of uh addressing systemic racism and its profit motives uh bernie sanders uh just uh on thursday released his uh immigration platform and it's pretty fucking rad 
It's, it's so good. Yeah, it's, it's really, so really good. good. Let me just uh, read the key points that are listed in the plan here. Uh, institute a moratorium on deportations until a thorough audit of past practices and policies is complete. Reinstate and expand DACA and develop a humane policy for those seeking asylum. Uh, completely reshape and reform our immigration enforcement system, including breaking up ICE and CPB or CBP and redistributing their functions to their proper authorities, dismantle cruel and inhumane deportation programs and detention centers, and reunite families who have been separated, and live up to our ideals as a nation, and welcome refugees and those seeking asylum, including those displaced by climate change. Yeah, what's even more... um you know ambitious about like this plan is not only is he calling for the breakup of ice and cbp he's also saying like if this is you know like if this stuff works out like we should you know abolish the entire uh department of homeland security basically so you know we should probably we should probably thank aoc for that you know because she kind of put that in you know the ether put that in the zeitgeist Mm-hmm. And um, now she definitely have, helped popularize it as a position. And then you have Bernie Sanders following following suit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also um, just happen to think politically, it is genius. Mm-hmm. Like, I a lot of people are going to be like, you know, oh, um, this is just going to be really bad for middle America voters. Like these mm-hmm. people like care about like you know the border and they don't they want border security. Blah blah blah. Like, you know, the suburbs in, like, Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania, like, they're not going to like this, right? Well, actually, you want to know why it's really great is because it's going to separate him from the other candidates on this issue. And they're going to have to defend ICE. Mm -hmm. And they're going to have to defend you know, these deportations and they're going to make, it's going to be very difficult for them to walk that fine line of, Hey, I think Trump is really bad, but Bernie Sanders is wrong too. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very difficult for them to, you know, navigate that. So I just think that it's going to be fun to watch. It's, yeah. it's, it, it, it's a gamble for sure. Um, you know, like, uh, I, I don't think abolishing ice is yet a popular idea. You know, a lot of, you know, what people say about Bernie Sanders is, you know, a lot of his sport comes from, well, go down on his policies. All of them are super popular. This is actually not one of them yet. Mm-hmm. Are, are you kidding? I mean, there are so many big cities around here who are just going, going the sanctuary route. Saying, I understand. I understand. Ice, you've got. I, I mean, understand, but I mean, like you, you can go look at the polls for yourself, and I, I think largely that has to do with a candidate like Bernie Sanders not coming out for something like yeah. this yet. Also, now the word that, abolished, right? right That's right. a difficult one. Exactly, but you know, now that you're gonna have um, a very, a very popular presidential candidate, you know, talking about this, and you know, even though. Uh, people might disagree with him. You'll always hear this from people talking about Bernie Sanders. They'll be like, I disagree with him on some stuff, but I trust him. Mm-hmm. And I believe that he believes in what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So even though, you know, like they might not agree with abolishing ICE, they might just like that signaling of I'm just telling it how I how it is and what I believe. Well, I think this is the first time I could be wrong, but this is the first issue I feel like he's really angling as like an anti-Trump um, position, which is dangerous for him when you think about the like question of the swing voter. But um, in every other case, um, I don't. Yeah, so, I, I disagree with you on okay, that. Okay, I don't know. People would say that. I don't know if that's true or not. So, but what I what is interesting about this is that um, 
it's the, like you're saying, they're going to have to defend their position. But specifically, all these other candidates, all they talk about is defeating Trump. And they're going to have to go on that stage and say, like, yes, his his most controversial, like the, the flashiest bullshit that he did. We're OK with like some of that. I just want a nice Gestapo where yeah. like half the <laughs> Gestapo officers are black and a third of them mm-hmm. are Latino and. And some of them are gay, and that's 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 how we're going to do this. Yeah, it's the woke racism that we're here for. I think uh, my favorite part about it is that it's like um, it's a real immigration plan that it's like in that it's like holistic. Mm-hmm. It's not. Um, it doesn't just focus on like the like bullet points that most people like assume when talking about immigration, mm-hmm. um, like DACA and in in deportations and things like that, which are all very, very important. But it goes into uh labor aspects. That's uh, right, yeah. Which like guaranteeing um farm workers fifteen dollars an hour, making sure that uh undocumented people have whistleblower uh visas, which basically um says like if you, you know, uh, have workplace uh, propagations and you want to tell you know authorities on your boss you're not going to be deported as a result of making that which is which is actually innovative like that's something that uh, he's it's like yeah. re- he's reimagined what immigration policy yeah so be. one one piece of his immigration policy of his platform is the domestic workers bill of rights which would provide domestic workers with at least 15 uh, with at least a 15 dollar minimum wage strong protections for collective bargaining Workers' rights, workplace safety, and fair scheduling. No, what it like include? What also makes this uh, plan so um, innovative is that it's not um, a plan in a vacuum. It's a plan that comes together with uh, Medicare for all. It's a plan that comes together with. Um, uh, Green New Deal, and as College well, tuition. no, but but what's even more important is the his foreign policy, because why is it that we have these like mm-hmm. mass waves of immigration? It's one hundred percent because of American foreign policy, mm-hmm. and uh, Bernie Sanders recognizes that. Every other politician, they can say whatever they want on immigration, but if they don't have the foreign policy to complement that. They're not right. addressing the root they're causes. Not, they're not addressing or the climate root policy, really, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Um, it also, what's sorry, what's the title of his labor plan, the um, Shop Floor Democracy? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, sorry, I feel really stupid. I can't remember what it's called. But a lot of, like, this idea of protections for unionization is in his other, his labor plans as well, mm-hmm. um, which I can't remember if there are um, provisions for, um, like, undocumented people in that or... But yeah, the, the the this kind of this uh, immigration plan outlines that they're basically yeah. included in that labor yeah. plan, um, which is fantastic. I, I'm really glad that he included uh, CBP as well because, like, obviously ICE gets a lot of attention. I think that's because it's just like the name and you know mm. the profile of it. But uh, arguably, uh, CBP is much much worse in terms of like causing harm to people. Brendan and I heard you wanted to talk about ICE. Fuck ice. <laughs> that's, that's all I need to say. No, so so this is this is really exciting. I'm I'm excited for this proposal because it we haven't talked about immigration at a at one of these debates yet. I mean, in a serious way. Not in a serious way. I mean, way, no. we, we've got all of these candidates who are going to pull the Obama. Like, oh yeah, we'll decrease a. Decrease deportations. Is and, that an Obama thing? Yeah, that is. Oh wait. Oh yeah. Sorry, <laughs> not Obama thing. I'm giving Obama too much credit. We're we're gonna you know be be nicer than Donald Trump is. But 
I mean, we have to abolish ICE. Fuck ICE. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. There is not an organization in this country right now that more represents Nazis than fucking ICE. They're bullshit. I, okay, there are no, Nazis no. in the state. I, I, sorry, yeah, I, I've they're been all correct in about ice. that. But they're all nice. <laughs> exactly. They have Facebook groups where they're basically saying all sorts of shit against human beings, human beings that deserve some protection. Yeah. And we, we've got to fight that. And I'm excited that Bernie Sanders is the person who's willing to go forward and actually fight for that. Immigration is one of those things that have always been my one of my pet issues when it comes to national politics. And I feel like uh, are you going to make Lansing a sanctuary city? Well, we are absolutely. We already kind of are. No, no, we're a welcoming city, which has to do with people from the Middle East. We're not a sanctuary city. My, the person I ran against (laughs) intentionally voted against sanctuary Mm -hmm. cities. And I'm, I'm going to be bringing that to council. I mean, for, I remember we went, we went through this whole fucking thing like two years ago, uh, like showing up to council meetings, like repeatedly to try and get this done. And, I mean, maybe I'm misremembering, maybe I got this wrong, but from what I remember, uh, we tried to pass a resolution making Lansing a sanctuary city, but then the mayor at the time kind of circumvented it and issued like a sort of executive order that mm-hmm. sort of makes us a sanctuary city in practice. But then what, what the council did is they rescinded the resolution that they had passed calling Lansing a sanctuary city in like in name. Well, the... The name matters. Yeah. It matters a lot because that gives people that that extra s- safety in mind. I mean, I want the well. Yeah, it's total bullshit. I'm really yeah. We should be it. unabashed in our uh, yeah. Protection we for need immigrants. to stand up for a Latinx community in this city. That's that's the bottom line of it. I have talked to people at the doors who are afraid that ICE is going to end up at their doors in the next year. Because of Donald Trump, and they're going to be deported. And nobody should ever fucking feel like that. That is just, it's so devastating to me that we weren't willing to tell these people that we are here to protect them. This city here is going to say, fuck ice. And the reason why we did it, didn't do it, is because we were afraid of the federal ramifications. Who the fuck cares about the federal ramifications? We don't like Trump. He's not fucking giving us anything anyway. Mm. Fuck Trump. Fuck ice. That is what I have and, to say about and ice. And coming, the chamber. The chamber is, also had a big influence on that. Yeah. 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 This oh, is and, coming and from, fuck the chamber. From a, fin- <laughs> a finance expert. So you know how to do that, right? You know yep. how to pay for the city if the, the federal government stops sending us anything? They're not going to stop sending us stuff. <laughs> cool. They haven't stopped sending California stuff. Yeah. Right? They, they threatened to take all sorts of grants, all sorts of money from California. They're still giving money to California. I mean, it. They're they're bullshitting. Yeah. They, this is just Trump trying to be a dictator, and I'm not, also, I'm not for that. I think the courts struggle against him yep. in that manner too. There you go. We win, and I'm. I think that we in Lansing are, um, our repres- our our lawyers, our counsel, our mayor should be willing to be in this fight, they, and if we're not, then we're weak. They should. Okay, so yeah, I feel pretty strongly about this because, and it, it's a it's a number of communities in the city, but I've lived here a long time, and I work more or less for the city. I've worked for the public schools, and truly, like 
what makes our city the way that it is, is our relationship to resettlement and to our immigrant populations who literally, I mean, this is a cliche, but they fucking run this city, right? Um, and I feel so blessed to get to work with people. Okay, so f- when I worked for the public schools at that time, there were students whose home language, there were like 120 different languages spoken at home in the public schools when I worked for them. Wow. Um, so, and that's what our city looks like. It's not a minority. It's not, you know, like a, a sideline thing. That's what our city is. That's the, So it should be the most important consideration. And and what what's sad to me is that those people who make up these 120 languages are hiding in their houses. That was just, you know, I've, an I've, approximation. Yeah. yeah. But I, I've knocked on doors and met these people, and I don't see them on the streets. I don't see them in our neighborhoods because I'm sure that they're afraid of the police because we haven't been willing to call ourselves a sanctuary city by name. Mm. And I and I totally get that. If if my predecessor was pro police and anti turning this place into a sanctuary city, what happens if police knocks on one of these people's doors and arrest them? Is my is the mm-hmm. is that person gonna stand up and say no? We shouldn't deport this person. No, but I'm willing to say that. That is one of the reasons why this win is so very important because now we can stand up for that immigrant community, and there are a lot of them in this city. So we're abolishing ICE right now. Now, can we do police next? Hey. Only, only if we can replace them with the Socialist Rifle Associations across the country. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know if that's no. if that's quite a good idea. So that, that's actually a really good question. Well, that's and... because okay, you're okay, wait, a wait. Cop. Brandon Betts, uh, <laughs> as city council Brandon member, Betts, are you going to abolish the police? Brandon Betts <laughs> and Lansing Residents United, which is associated with Black Lives Matter, are working on ways that we can reduce the funding that we spend on police to put towards public services. We're also working to teach police about Mm. all these, you know, all sorts of nonviolent tactics and stuff like that. Uh Brandon Betts himself is not going to say that we need to abolish or not going to say that we are going to do that during my term on council. So that's I'll, that's where I stand. I'll remember that when I'm running against you. Oh great! <laughs> you just turned a left primary challenger. Nice job. I'm excited. <laughs> I, I have to say though, you know, that was one of those things. So like, give less money to the cops is a great answer to our our um, budget crisis that we're having in the city, and it was not something you could say in any of those discussions. If, if that's what Black Lives Matter is asking for, that's what I'm going to give them, yeah. and they're not asking to abolish the police. I think it's a yeah. Give less money to the cops is a beautiful plan, at least in the short term. Um, no, I, I agree. I think long term, I, I am I'm that left. But but in terms of what I think that we can accomplish now, I think that Black Lives Matter, I'm going to let them have the lead in the discussion. And they're not asking me to abol- abolish right. the police. Well, part, part of what I mean well, is I don't, the they're... council doesn't have the authority right, to right, abolish the police right. anyway. The, I'm not running for mayor. So yeah, I mean, well, the, the mayor has executive authority over the operations of the police department. So, so I guess part of what I'm suggesting, though, is that there are going to there are potential political consequences to that, considering the, the power that police have as kind of um, a block and um, we you should know, cut all this out <laughs> no Why? no this no. is a important conversation you know, <laughs> I'm not scared about it I I, I... <laughs> the police will be like knocking on our doors be like hey I heard you guys don't like us <laughs> I'm talking about reducing 
I'm, no, no. It's, it was, but, but this was a big talking point uh, with all of the candidates. Um, and everybody has the same, everybody on the left and right has, you know, in the campaign has the same things to say about the cops. Like, we're going to teach them to be a little less racist. We're going to go to, quote unquote, community policing. Um, and we're going to figure out funding later. Like well, that's, and, But and that's all you can this. say. I get it. I, I knocked on a person of color's door on the, on the southeast side. And I brought up to him community policing. And he said, I do not fucking want a community police yeah, officer community in this neighborhood. Yeah, community policing has been a failure almost everywhere for like 40 years. But it's still the thing we say in elections for some reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has great ties to like, there, there's a new book about I mean, this. I mean, out. Granted, I would rather have my police in the neighborhood getting to know the neighbors as opposed to downtown like sitting on their asses i wouldn't i wouldn't hasn't like some of the um criticism of like community policing have kind of been like it's kind of been like a right-wing version of the community policing sometimes there hasn't been really like a left-wing model of community policing yeah i mean so so community policing comes out of the great society programs it has really close ties to um like federal programs but it also has close ties to um the vietnam war so like i was gonna say a really good book by a really cool historian it's called badges without borders just came out the historian's name is Stuart schrader and it's about the international ties between militarism and policing at home really cool okay yeah that that makes a lot of sense So a uh, lawmaker in New Zealand, uh, Chloe Chloe Swarbrick. Uh, she's queen, 20, slay queen. She's 25 years old. Uh, she was on the parliament floor giving a speech about climate change, and uh, someone heckled her. And I'll, I'll just play the clip. Mr. Speaker, how many world leaders for how many decades have seen and known what is coming, but have decided that it is more politically expedient to keep it behind closed doors? My generation and the generations after me do not have that luxury. In the year 2050, I will be 56 years old. Yet, right now, the average age of this 52nd parliament is 49 years old. Okay, boomer. (laughs) (laughs) Boom! Roasted! (laughs) Okay, boomers taking, you know, uh, control of the country. I kind of hate it, to be honest. You kind of hate it? Well, because, like... They're kind of copying Rich us. people are the oppressors, not the elderly. Zach's like, my favorite one of you, first of all. Um, <laughs> I don't... I think generational warfare is a tool of the capitalist elite to divide people. It, it literally is. Like, like older people are more at risk than homelessness, of unemployment, of homelessness, of dying of exposure than you are. Okay. And um, all the left-wing old people okay die, cause, too. Because you are oppressed, because right. you are going to die at, like, 46 because of Jewel. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, um... What I'm mad about, the, like, the OK Boomer thing, like, first of all, it's totally, you know, so fast, it's now just in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're, we, we just first learned about OK Boomer, like, yesterday. What did I say to you about this? I don't remember. What did you say? That uh, Kamala Harris is going to say, okay, boomer, oh, in the yeah. debate, and that you're, will... you're going to have to jump in front of a bus. <laughs> no, I will fucking die. I will just, my it's head gonna, will explode. It's going to happen, though. Like, we have to all put money down right now. No, We're going to watch Pete. this debate. 
It, I mean, I mean, it's Pete, and he's gonna say one. Pete's no, gonna say it to like Biden, Warren, or Pete's a Bernie. millennial. Pete, I, probably I Bernie gonna, because he's a tool for the billionaires. Pete's a millennial, so he'll say "shut the fuck up, boomer," which is like what I was about to say. Like they kind of stole it from us. Yeah. Like we've been saying "shut the fuck up, boomer" like forever, and now they're just like they just shorten it up, and you know it's not like cursing, which and cursing makes it cool. So this is less cool. Uh-huh. Um. <laughs> Here's what I have to say. Any though. boomers that want to fight against capitalism, mm-hmm. I'll organize with Here's you. Here's what I have to say. Okay, Boomer comes from a bunch of downwardly mobile millennials, right? My Boomer parents... No, they're from the Zoomers. The Zoomers. Zoomers, com- sure. Zoomers sorry, I'm sorry. I am sorry, Zoomers. But, like, it, like this is a personal problem. If Zoomers can't be parents, downwardly mobile. If your parents are rich, that's not my problem. Because mine aren't. Uh-huh. I mean, all right. I, I see your guys' point with the... Um, it's fine. It's still funny. Poverty but, kills the left, and therefore older people are more conservative. Let's yes, be, but let, that's no, not. My mom died at fifty six. No, she was fifty three. She was fifty three. Yeah, yeah, no, but one hundred percent. You know, like the poverty kills the left. Uh-huh. So yes, the older you are, the more likely you're going to be conservative. But I mean, like, just like, come on, like we live in you know the United States where all these people grew up terrified that they were going to be blown up by the soviet union like they're going to be scared of leftism because of those uh material material conditions that i don't know i feel like that's erasure of a lot of people that fought against uh i mean you can, I think it's more likely I, just that they got bought out i don't think they were that afraid of the soviets i mean i mean, I mean you know like i I guess I would say, you know, like to qualify my statement is, of course, I'm not talking about all boomers. Not all boomers. Not, hashtag, hashtag not all boomers. That, that is, that's hashtag, a good solution. Hashtag not all boomers, but a majority of these boomers, like every day when they die, like our society has a better chance of, you know, not facing the existential crisis of climate change. That's just mm. a fact. I'm sorry. I, okay. think, I think we could just kill a lot of CEOs and achieve the same I, I, Satire. People Satire. are Satire. not the only I, I agree with Zach on this. I think that's a little bit distasteful because what, what I'm seeing here is we as millennials have been held back for a really long time because the older generations have been saying, oh, you're not good enough. Oh, you're just sitting at home. Oh, you're you're lazy and playing video games all day. Finally, we are getting a position in society. Finally, becoming executive directors, city council people, and stuff like that. Pete Buttigieg and, is a front and, runner. And what have millennials done with this power? We've created OK Boomer. Why not just be like, yeah, we need to take care of our elderly. Yeah, they exist. Yeah, they're dying out. But in the we cold. love Bernie, and we all we love, love Bernie, Bernie, and he wants to do that. Well, Bernie, that's Bernie's point. not a boomer. It's not a boomer. He's not Bernie, the only old person. I'm not society. saying. I'm not saying we love Bernie and Bernie's an old person. I'm saying all the policies that we love take care of the old. I'm not saying. That is true. Alex I'm, is really right. On this I'm line. not saying let's fucking kill the old. I'm just saying it's fucking funny, and I'm gonna fucking keep saying it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I think it's funny too. I just always. I it surprises me that people, most people who I talk to, have never heard this critique. They didn't know that like old people face oppression. They truly believe this ideology of generations, and it's not true. It's not statistically true. It doesn't make any sense. It really is just dividing the left. But, okay. it, you know, it's okay for you because you already I know understand. I understand. don't know these I things. understand. I understand where you're coming from, but you're also 
like going back to the material conditions that these people grew up with, they all grew up with a strong union economy. They yeah. all grew well, they yeah. all they all grew up where um, you know, housing rates and mortgages were super low, where they were able to bachelor's didn't, degree cost a fucking nickel. Yeah. Well, okay, well who who had access to that bootstrap. And and, and 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 that and 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 the number one determining factor of intergenerational wealth in the United States is home ownership. Mm-hmm. All of these people, their parents had homes because all their parents, all the white, the white people, yeah, white yeah, people. all the white, all these white boomers had uh, homes because they they all they they all their parents were beneficiaries of the GI Bill. Yeah, and all, all the white people, all, all the white people, black benefic- service members didn't get to benefit yeah, from I, the I, GI I, Bill. Yes, I know, but that's also yeah. the majority of. The, yeah, 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 that's the right? yeah. So like you know, again, not all boomers, but like right. that's kind of my that's it's, kind of my point is all these people have these this material they have a um they they started at a higher point than we're all starting, yeah. and you know like that 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 may that has a material correlation to how they feel and their political views yeah, they were bought out. now but it, it's worth also pointing out who it was that eroded all of this right it it was you know reagan it wasn't a boomer for example right. um i don't know that it's necessarily true even that the boomers are responsible for neoliberal policy um i don't know you know there's a, there's a, a popular but disputed theory from American historians that this whole thing that we're talking about, this New Deal state, all of that, like, strong unions, homeownership was, you know, an exception. It was just like a blip. Um, it wasn't just necessarily that uh, that's how things could be forever. That's how our society is. It was just like we did it for a minute um, and then it went away. So we have more more in common with people 100 years ago. I don't know. I, I, you know, I'm not on board with you with whatever you know, generational warfare, but I am a, I am a fan of this phrase, uh, "Okay, boomer." Mostly because, mostly in spite of all these fucking idiots who are saying, who are calling, uh, who are saying it's a, it's an ageist slur. It's on par with the N word. Uh, yeah, yeah. And no, and also I think it's like important to point out that this is almost entirely a response to a boomer saying something stupid yeah so like when you take that into account too like that's just fair game right i mean i've seen plenty of people talking about how like what this came out of is just like years and years of exasperation trying to get through to these to these uh, who are mostly boomers like trying to explain uh how shitty things are for people our age and them just not understanding or refusing to listen and it's just oh fine i'm not even gonna try and argue with you okay boomer whatever right and and you want to know what like um there's also this phenomenon of you know boomer is not a generation it's a mindset right I, that's dumb no no there it's are dumb. no but i mean like you know you go into can't that can't we just say you neoliberal into, can't we just say neoliberal what's wrong with you people yeah but neoliberal, because they come the neoliberals kind of like been also, loaded and like changed yeah, yeah. kind of I but, also, but i mean no you got like you got like got the avenue where i was at last night and you, you know were there begging was begging us to come to the avenue with yeah you. no one wanted you to come to, beg me to come to the avenue <laughs> i thought you were on the chat i'm sorry i don't there's not enough people on no, the chat there's a chat wow um but yeah like um you're not a regular on the yeah, show, so you're not. Oh, okay, yeah. I get it. I get it. No, but I mean, you know, I see like some stupid uh, graffiti on the bathroom wall, and somebody responded to it, "Okay, boomer," and I was like, "Haha, that's funny." I like, you know, posted it on Twitter. It was somewhat funny, yeah. It was somewhat funny, so I was like, you know, like it's a good thing. Like, 
majority good thing. I think it's a good thing, too. I just think that people need to use their brains, like, occasionally. And actually, you know, just... I'm doing all of this because I give a shit about people. Like, that's stupid, but um, it is true. And I want to do the right thing. And it is the right thing to not let elderly people die of cold exposure. Yeah, I'm I'm using it to organize. Like, fuck yeah. all the people yeah, that yeah. are saying, okay, boomer, I'm an organizer of the boomers. I love that. So, I love that. See, Zach is my favorite. It's okay. Well, you want to know what? We can have both strategies. I'm also not of this idea that like uh, age is a determinant of like your ideological or right. It's a mindset beliefs. because there's a lot of young people that are also garbage. That you know, honestly, you know, they don't they don't really. Uh, I mean, but let's be real. Let's like acknowledge reality. Yes, there are awful you know young people, but there are far more not awful young people than there are awful young people. Because poverty is going to kill them. Whereas boomers, that's like not poverty the case. is going I to kill them. I just don't think it matters whether you're like awful or not. That's not material conditions, right? Most you know? boomers are addicted to Fox News. Like, come on, guys. Is I that true? Is that is that not. you got a number of that? Yeah. That's actually probably not true because most people don't <laughs> you know, even watch you know cable news. Really, but you know who's really sensitive is Gen X. They like hate being called out. Are you just saying you don't want to be called out right now? What the? How the fuck old do you think that I am? What Wait. the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that needs to start the show for sure. <laughs> just, just cold drop. How the fuck old do you think I am? I, I know that I'm really into grunge, but I assure you that I am a millennial. I'm like four years older than you, like five or six years older I, than I, you, okay, like yeah. seven or eight, <laughs> nine or ten. I'm like within a decade of almost all of you. I think okay. you can't hate on a ge- uh, generation if you can't identify them. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right, well, we got to wrap up now. Uh, but thanks for listening to this week's episode. Um, make sure you subscribe to our show on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever else you get podcasts. Be sure to like us on Facebook at State of the Revolution. Follow us on Twitter at SOTRpod. You can email us at SOTRpod at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments, and threats. You can also help support our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Michigan Progressive. Uh, tomorrow evening, uh, we're going to be going to see Taika Waititi's new film, Jojo Rabbit, and it looks really, really funny. Um, so we're going to go see it tomorrow night and we're going to talk about it, uh, for this week's bonus episode. So if you want to hear it, uh, be sure to go to patreon.com slash Michigan Progressive and become a patron today and then go see the movie or not. I, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> just pay us so you can listen to us talk about the movie but save your money don't go watch the movie we'll just hear it from us and we'll tell you all about it if you care about spoilers go see the movie um anyway uh i'm benjamin clon i'm ricky reynolds alex sorry zachary reinhardt brandon betts we'll see you guys next week bye